All right, it's time for a little ad break. Ever wonder what a unicorn eats for breakfast? Okay, I don't actually know, but I do know that 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, marketing, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big on your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, go to HubSpot.com slash startups. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like, oh, yeah. I'm recording. What's up, Sam? What's going on? You bought a house? Yeah. I, um, <laughs> Did you really? I thought you were bluffing when you sent that to me. No, I've got the inspection right after this. So I uh, went out to like, uh, I'm in Austin because my company's based here. Some of the guys took me out to like dinner or something. And I was walking around the neighborhood and I was like, this is amazing. I want to move here. And so that was on Thursday. On Saturday, I looked at a house. On Sunday, I made the <laughs> offer. On Monday, it was accepted. So we're good. I, uh, I'm i going to uh, rent it out for some of the year and live in it some of the year. Wow. Okay. Uh, I love it. Is it like kind of residential neighborhoody family or is it like cool near 6th Street? Like where, where, are, you, where are you doing it here? It's the cool, they call it like the grimy area. It's, or I don't okay. know what the stereotype is. I frankly know very little about it. Uh, it's in, it's in East Austin. It's off of 6th Street. It's like a 22, 2300 square foot house. It's really nice. It's very nice. Um, and we got approved. I, we, I got a little bit of a little bit more, uh, a little bit of a mortgage. Um, and we just got approved fast and bought the damn thing. And Sarah's cool with it. Yeah, definitely. We, I think you're my hero because you live like, uh, you live, you make decisions like an independent person while being happily married. (laughs) It seems that way. It's, it's definitely not. I mean, I do a lot of the talking, (laughs) but it, you know, I, it's a team. And so we both agreed, but yeah, we'll go, Hey, you want to do this? It will go. Yeah, we're (laughs) in. And so we, we, we make decisions quickly or I make decisions quickly. And I think, I think that's it. You found somebody who's compatible with you in that way. Um, making decisions quickly and valuing similar things so that your decisions are are, are aligned. Like when we bought a car, it was like on a Thursday. It's like, let's buy a car. What type? Well, I don't know. Let's just go look at them. And we just bought it on a Friday. So that's how we roll. That's how I did with my dog. I woke up in the morning, Christmas Eve. I said, let's go dog shopping. And she's like, what? No. And like we had agreed. Now's not the time for the dog. And then it just that morning it was like, today's the day for the dog. And we went, we saw three different dogs and we bought the third dog and came home. <laughs> that's the way to go. And I also, when I was looking at the house, I wore a mask the entire time. But one of the agents who was showing it, messaged me the next day was like i just tested positive <laughs> and i'm so I, that's why i'm home because i can't i'm not i'm not going anywhere uh, but i went and got tested i'm negative but i'm still being better safe than sorry that's good uh, that they called you. I had a friend in college who um, got the herp and his doctor was like, hey, you need to call all your you know girlfriends and you need to tell them like what's up and he's like oh shit why like are they gonna die and he's like no but you know it's respectful, you know, still serious and it's respectful. And, you know, this type of thing can can stick around and it can be passed on to babies in the future for the. For, and he was like, oh, wow. OK, came home, called nobody, <laughs> told nobody. That's messed <laughs> I up. was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, there's a scene in the office where Michael gets herpes and he calls people. He goes, I don't know how to say this. so I'm just going to spell it out. I've tested positive for H.I.R.P. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he spells herpes. And like, Michael, herpes is spelled with an E, not an I. Why did you do that? <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. I was like, I had to like call my coworkers. And I'm like, just so you know, I uh, was around someone who tested positive, but I'm not positive. <laughs> anyway. Right. We're good. Uh, all right. That's great. Um, all right. Let's jump into some topics. So congrats on the house. And um, let's talk about bare metrics. Think, by the way, I'll, I'll rev- so I intend to Airbnb this home and yeah. I'm going to reveal. Well, I'll reveal the numbers once we once we do it. And I think that will be a fun little segment. Right. Um, I, I also, like that. Let me t- uh, let me tell you something really quick about this. There's this guy. There's this mo- company that I love. It's called Super Money Market. <laughs> Is that what it's called? You've ta- yeah. yeah, you've talked about that once before. Yeah. Is it? Sorry, Money Supermarket. It's like NerdWallet, but it is in Britain. And it's been around for longer than NerdWallet. It's been around for, I think, since the beginning of the web. And the guy who started it, his name is Nixon. Uh, uh, Simon. Simon Nixon. Big billionaire. And when he it went public. And when he sold it, he went and bought a vacation home. And then his friends wanted to like stay there. And he went and bought another one. And his friends wanted to stay there. So we created this website called Simon's Escapes. <laughs> and it's I think it's like a I don't know if it's like a profit making business, but it's like a legit business and you could go out and rent a variety of his homes. And the whole shtick is that this is his personal collection. I don't know if that's true, if it's like part of the shtick, but it's kind of interesting. And I called Ryan Beagleman and I was like, hey, this is pretty interesting. He goes, Yeah, this is actually pretty common. A lot of billionaires, like even Bill Gates and Richard Branson, you can go and rent their private estates. And Ryan told me, he was like, yeah, but I'm pretty sure a lot of them are wildly unprofitable. Like, for example, the founder of Circus Soleil, I think he has a bunch of them. And you can go, he's like, they really just do it just to lower, reduce their burn. But it's kind of a neat idea, like one day to be rich enough to like just, you know, own so many homes that you can rent out. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I think you could do like a, um, a membership like class pass, but for staying in billionaires houses. And so you pay the membership just to be on, just to get access to the Airbnb platform where you can rent only, you know, chateaus and villas and, and ski houses well, of, that's of thing. rich it's, people. Um, I've just, I learned about this last year. What's that called? It's called a, uh, is it Aviato or ele- uh, Elevate? I've heard, yeah. There, I've heard of Aviato. That's from the show Silicon Valley. No, uh, it's a, uh... <laughs> It's like a monthly, like you pay a monthly fee and you get access to high end, uh, what's it called? Uh, Elevato or, uh, okay. It's called something. And what is it? They, it's huge. I see commercials for it all the time. And what they do, this is like totally like we didn't plan any of this. So, uh, what they do is they, um, buy vacation rentals and you pay a monthly fee and you get access to all of them. Right. It's called, um, I don't know what it's called. I'll have to look it up. But anyway, it's just like, it's cool that I saw this guy do that. I'm like, oh, that'd be fun to do that. Right. I think somebody could also, while we're just riffing off this, I think somebody could also do this um, for parties. So I think you could also create kind of like a high-end party club, which is basically like a membership fee you pay every year and um, you get invited to parties in all these different cities and the parties are part of the parties all are hosted at house parties of like baller houses. And, um, and so you take kind of like an elite crew. And I had a friend who was doing this in Moscow. He basically was like, he went, he's, he's from Moscow and he traveled around the world. He got his MBA at that, that program called INSEAD. That was like, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's yeah. like halftime in Singapore, halftime in Paris or wherever it is. And so he had this like kind of cool global network of like, you know, like successful kind of 
successful-ish people. And what he did was he created this party club in Moscow that only they would get text messages to, to these underground parties that were either at clubs, but often at non like club or bar venues. So somebody's house or, you know, uh, out outdoors in a field or whatever it was. Um, and it was always like really cool events. And so he had this list of like 3000 members that would just get this text every single time. And he was making great money doing it. And he was just doing it because he built like the most powerful kind of like social scene. And he liked to be the kingmaker of that scene and, you know, meet girls and he liked to do all that stuff. But I, I could see somebody, um, you know, uh, connecting some of these cool venues together in unique ways, whether it's for rentals, vacation rentals or for partying. It's not a great business, but I think it could be a lot of fun for somebody who's just, you know, and, and, and you know, somebody's trying to have a good time. So I want to riff on that for a second. But first, uh, the company that I was referring to is called Inspirato. So yes. Inspirato.com, 500 employees, 200 million in revenue. You pay, you have two packages, one's 600, one's $2,000 a month. I think the $600 one, you get reduced rates. The $2,000 one, you get to stay. F- I think that's your rate. It's very expensive. Two grand a it's month. Lux- it's luxury, uh, tra- luxury vacations, basically, luxury travel vacations. Yeah, I think it, and I don't think they've raised a lot of money compared to how big they are. It's, it's a subscription business. Anyway, pretty big, kind of interesting. Um, Different take on the whole Sonder Airbnb thing. And then the other one in this space that I think is going to be massive, I've been talking about this for a few months now, is called Hello Landing, which is kind of like this, but more low end. So you could spend $2,000 to $4,000 a month and you just get a furnished apartment in like 18 cities. Right. And so you could just live out of that. Uh, and it was started by the guy who started Shipped, which is a like Instacart competitor, but mostly in the South that he sold for 500 million bucks. A very successful guy. Um, I'm very eager to see how that plays out. And then um, regarding um, what the idea you just had, we had a listener tweet at us and he basically made a Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnbs and rentals. Did you see that? No. Uh, I'll bring you. You have to remind me what it was called. It was called like serendipity or something like that. But basically you say like, I don't, I don't even know if he had it set up this much, but you say which cities interest you. It could be like a variety of cities. And it, and he emails you out cool Airbnbs that are have been recent or hotels that have recently been... Right. De- curated. Uh, yeah. yeah so, 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 it's, so it's curated, unique uh, vacation stuff. So I, I think there's a lot of value in this, uh, which is basically like a combination of great deals and unique experiences and just doing the curation work so that... People don't have to do all the research and be hunting and be finding all this stuff. Um, I think that's a pretty pretty simple way to build a build a list and build a business. And the name of that business that he just is called the name's a little silly, but the link's in there. It's called Spontaneous, like Spontaneous. Yeah, spontaneous. Yeah, he's got to fix that name, but that's what it's called, <laughs> right? Yeah, probably not going to work. Uh, so, oh, this is guy Zach. Okay, I've seen this guy. Uh, yeah, the, the name is awful. That's why I he did message us. I didn't click the link because the name was so awful. No, it's a cool uh, service. I signed up for it. <laughs> and what's funny is that but he just launched, and he does so he doesn't have any testimonials, and he has a part on his website that says testimonials, and then there's an asterisk, and it's like no one has said this yet, but these will right. likely be what they say. Yeah, yeah. It says, what we hope you'll be saying soon. Future subscriber testimonials. Uh, okay, got to give credit where credit's due. I like the, I like your spunk. <laughs> and then he says, like, sponsors. And he lists a bunch of brands and he goes, these people haven't sponsored us, but brands like this will probably right. sponsor us eventually. Dude, the best thing, the best ad sale we ever did for the podcast is one, I, I don't know if you remember this. I think this might have been before you came on, but we had no sponsor for like two months or something like that. 
And so I just did an ad read and the during the podcast, I just go, this podcast is brought to you by no one. Think about this. This could be you right here. <laughs> I said, we don't have an advertiser right now. So email me if you want to advertise. And I got a ton of people interested. We have like book three sponsors and like from a 15 second uh, joke, basically. It works. It works. <laughs> we did that when we started the hustle. I put this person, I think this is actually illegal or against the rules. I put like, this was sponsored by, and then I put the name of a company and right. they didn't actually sponsor it, but I knew that right. their competitors would email me asking this. <laughs> uh, all right. You want to kick it off on what you have? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, bare metrics. Okay. So we had referenced bare metrics, which is a software that gives you kind of like a dashboard for your business. I use it for my subscription business and it tells you, Oh, here's your monthly revenue. Here's your churn rate. Here's you had this many people cancel, this many people card decline, whatever. It gives you this like very simple dashboard for your business, um, which is useful. And he was kind of like a bootstrapper guy. So he just posted a blog that says, I sold Bear Metrics. And he says, um, after seven years of working on this company, Bear Metrics has a new home. And he just dove into all the details. So he goes, purchase price, $4 million of cash. What I walk away with, $3.7 million in cash. This is a 2.65 multiple of our annual recurring revenue. And he said, here's the buyer. It's this private equity, uh, tech good private f- equity firm. The the company that bought it, it's Zenith or Xenon. Xenon, yeah. Um, the woman who is the co-founder, Terry, is one of my very good friends, Terry Wilson. Um, they're all good people. And so it's at, uh, you know, no earn out uh, payment structure is three payments. There's, you know, at close at 12 months and at 18 months, um, which is interesting because there's no earn out, but you also didn't get all the money up front. Um, so well, anyways, that's not an he, earn out. That's just yeah, he doesn't have to work there. Seller but financed. Yeah, it's sort of like dripped, basically. Um, so, so he said, okay, how we got here? You know, been working on this. It's doing well in COVID, but uh, I think it was just kind of like time to move on. So, what did you think of this when you saw it? All right, everyone, a quick break because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called MoneyWise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10000 30000 50000 And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called MoneyWise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called MoneyWise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr, or you can just type in MoneyWise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What you should put in a job description to get the perfect hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. So Bear Metrics is a really cool company. Um, They buffer used them at first. So I think we should... I hate this phrase. It's a cliche. Take a step back, which is this business is... <laughs> I don't in, think you've ever said that. <laughs> I, I, ne- I try never to say it. I think it's a stupid cliche. Um, the, this business is... At this. There's this whole group of people. They call them open startups. If you Google like open startups, I think there's a website that compiles all of them. And they're startups or companies that reveal their revenue in real time. You can yep. see their burn... or not. I don't think... You, you can't see profit. You can only see revenue. So you can see... Um, 
Well, some do it all. There's degrees, right? So Buffer went crazy and they were like, here's everybody in the company's salary. So they published their employee salary. Some their people bank don't account do that. information, everything. Yeah. And others do kind of like the high level metrics. Like, here's what our revenue is month by month. Here's what our growth was. Here's what our, here's how our email list grew, but they don't show like employee salaries or profits. Yeah. And there's a lot of sites that do this. So there's start a story. That guy, he does that with people. There's indie hackers and then there's people who do it on their own. The Gumroad um, guy. Yeah. The Gumroad guy. Open startup list. There you go. Open startuplist.com has a list of them. So I think that as a business owner, I would never ever do that. But I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. I love consuming it. So I think that's interesting. And bare metrics is like a really cool tool to get that done. Um, yeah, I think that's a good move that this guy sold. He only sold, I imagine, because he had $850,000 in funding from major VCs. And it was like an easy out for him. Um, so in the post, he says that uh, the VCs, uh, they're like, uh, just forget they, they, so they, they had put in 800000 back in 2014-2015 uh, from two kind of like big VCs, General Catalyst and Bessemer. And, um, and basically, it wasn't going to be like the home run, right? VCs are trying to get uh, you know, 10x, 100x on their money. And so they want, they, they want you to go – basically, when a VC invests in you, they're planning for you to try to become a billion-dollar company. That's what a win looks like for them. And then there's sort of like smaller wins if you end up at 250 or $500 million, But – a five a four in this case a four million dollar outcome is is you know it's a rounding error it's a cost of doing business. I don't know so, if he said this in the blog post or if someone said it in the comments, which is like the amount of time just for the lawyers on the VCs end to do the paperwork would be, be would cost eight hundred thousand dollars or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's quite true, but that but, but I that, I get the point. So he basically what he said was they um I, he said I wanted to give them their money back but ultimately for a four million dollar purchase price we would need to ask them to walk on their investment now this didn't fully add up because yeah you could have easily given back the eight hundred thousand and walked away with you know whatever two point eight or two point nine million instead of whatever he walked away with three point something million um but I guess he asked them like hey will you take less then I'll do this deal. And, or will you will you write it off so I can have an exit here? And um, and they said yes, which is kind of amazing by them. And there was a lot of people on Twitter who were like, "Wait, what the hell? Like this does not compute." Especially people who come from other industries like real estate or whatever. They're like, "You just why would they write off their entire uh, investment?" I don't understand. And so, what do you think about that reaction? And, and how would you explain it? Well, I do think it's hard to fathom because it's almost $1 million. It's a lot of money. I think that you have to look at it like who it, wait, who was it? General Catalyst? General Catalyst, yeah. What's their AUM? Do you know? Uh, they, I, think have, under- I, th- I think they have like a, uh, they have multiple funds, but I think that they have like billion-dollar sized funds. Yeah. So maybe like $10 billion they have. I think that the way that they probably saw it was, let's just not cause a fuss. Be cool with this guy because he's public and he'll talk well about us. And that's worth $800,000. So they just announced 2.3 billion in new uh, capital commitments across three funds. So I think that's probably let's call that their AUM. I don't know if that's exactly it, but um, yeah. So I think regardless, they're a billion dollar plus fund. I think that the way you look at it is like if you're in real estate, which I'm going to fluff. I mean, I'm going to kind of bumble through this. I don't know how it works, but like let's say it's like you paid a little money to like inspect a inspect a property and turns out like uh it's not a good property. That's okay. It's part of doing business. Let's move on to the next one. Right. That's kind of like what it is. Uh it's just when you have uh you know 10 billion in assets, 800k is the cost to do the inspection. Right. So here here's what I think happened. So I think uh a I think getting 800k back um is 
probably not that interesting to them. Um, and if they took any more, I think they would kill the motivation to do the deal by the founder. Um, so, so I think you know, that would be the most that they could get. They pro- this is probably because it's seven years old. This fund has probably already done well and has profits and they can actually just write off the 800 K and just reduce their taxes basically. So they can, they're going to effectively still keep that amount of money by calling this a loss, by calling this a zero. And, um, and then they get the, you know, the founder might let them into their next, if they start another company, it might be great signaling or kind of PR because look, we're talking about it. Um, and so, so I think that th- those are probably some of the reasons why between like the cost and the hassle versus the upside, the fact that they probably have a bunch of profit that they could just write this off into. Um, and lastly, you know, the sort of branding and founder friendly story that they get to tell for every founder after this. Yeah. So that's why it's hard to fathom, but when you like, you're like, look, this is like 0.001% of their right. money. Like this just, that's the cost of doing business. And I imagine that's how they saw it. It just so happens that there's a lot of zeros behind it, but it's the same thing if it's whether it's 800 or 800,000. Right. And, uh, and I encourage everyone go check out openstartuplist.com and go look. So you can see ghost is on here. Um, buffers on here, Barometrics, convert kit, gum road. Um, there's a bunch of interesting companies that you can go and you can actually go and understand their business, right? Like, as if the CEO took you aside and opened up their books. And um, I love looking at this type of stuff because it helps me, you know, cl- clear, you know, paint a picture and, and understand different businesses with very little effort. Yeah. Um, you so, you so see what's possible. Advantage. And uh, so I was, I was thinking about this the other day. So I was very close to just publishing my, like, I just did an annual review for myself about like everything. Like I had these goals, you know, what changed for me in my life, my, my you know, did I, my kind of personal development, then my financial picture. And I was like, should I just publish this whole thing? And I was like, you know, finger trembling on the button where I was about to click it. And then I was like, okay, let me think about it before I put, because once you put your financial picture out there, you can't undo it. Can I give you my opinion? Yeah. Tell me what you would do. Don't do it. I, uh, because- I don't think you should do it. I think that if maybe you can like give like, it increased by this much or like it's going well or like right. seven figures, maybe do that. But I definitely think you should not do it. I think that um, I think that there's a few things. One, if you're a company, so people have told me about Nathan Latka and then Cortland, the founder of Indie Hackers has told me about him. He's like, founders give him numbers and then they like regret it because people start copying them and they right. go to Cortland and like, Hey, can you delete that? And he's like, well, no, I mean, you like knew what you were getting into and you asked me to do this interview. Right. <laughs> so no, I'm not going to delete it. Like we agreed this is fair, which he's right. Um, but it's like, so it just like brings unnecessary attention. The only up and then if, for personal wise, one time when I did HustleCon, I, I like wrote a blog post saying like the first hustle kind of made like, right. you know, in one this year we did $300,000 in revenue and it was like all profit. And I was using that money to like grow a business and people were like, Oh nice. You have that much money. I was like, well, I mean like it's the business. Uh, right. <laughs> so, and, and I felt like that attention was actually really, I didn't, it didn't attract the type of person who I wanted to attract. And then also, but I would say that if you're trying to use it for marketing, it's a, it's, it is an awesome tool for marketing. Like this made, well, that's, that's the upside, right? Like you give up, some privacy and trans and, and, you know, I, I don't know, whatever, I guess privacy and you gain, a, it's, it's juicy. A bunch of people want to know about your kind of like your picture. And, um, if you could, if you're going to give somebody a snapshot into your finances and how it's growing and how it's going, then that's a good way to kind of hook people into the wider world of, of your content. Right. Well, but so I would do that's is- the upside, but the downside I think is real. Then you should do that with your fund. I don't think you should do it with your personal money. I think say like we have this much money in the bank. We've sent the checks to this 
we're going to reserve it for this. Like that right. would be cool. That would be a cool shtick. But I don't think I think that you would be unhappy if you did it for your personal life. And even Buffer, they wrote about it. They're like, yeah, this was like a cute thing that we did, and it got us popular because that was like our only marketing channel. But we actually don't want to reveal salaries anymore and things like that because it causes tension and it's just not worth the headache. Right. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I still might do it because it's just, I, you know, I'm curious to see what happens, but uh, I do think your logic is right. Um, so, so I agree with well, you. So what are you going to reveal? <laughs> like you're like literally your W2 income? Uh, yeah, like I would re- reveal everything. I'd re- reveal what I earned across what the board. What does your how wife my, say? How my assets grew. Uh, oh, well, this is, you know, I'm not going to ask her about this. She doesn't, she doesn't uh, use Twitter except for she went on Twitter one time and was like, yo, who told my husband to buy a bidet? Uh, he said somebody on Twitter told him, <laughs> you know, leave him alone. He's buying all kinds of shit that we don't need. You should look up Financial Samurai. So Financial Samurai, I know I'm friends with him because he came to HustleCon and we became buddies, like internet buddies. So I know his identity. And I don't. I think that you can find it if you wanted to. But Financial Samurai is a personal finance blogger. He's a little crazy, but he's cool. I love him. I like him a lot. He runs in our circle. And he reveals his assets and his income and office portfolio. But you only know his name is Sam. And it's really... You can't... I don't think you could find a photo of what he looks like on the internet. I don't think you can find his last name. Maybe, but maybe not. Um, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he's um, he does this all anonymously. And I think that's pretty cool. Right. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Um, I, I like that. Okay, what else we got uh, to talk about? So... I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, actually, I'll get, I'll do an idea first. So um, I call you know this is D 2 C super retailer. So what is this? Right now, there are so many D 2 C brands, and uh, if you look at the kind of the framework of you know all businesses essentially bundling and unbundling, which I don't think is really true, but it's catchy. Um, you know what's happened is you used to go to a retail store, Target you know, whatever, Macy's, wherever you're going. And the retail store bundled all these different brands together. And cool, that's how people shopped. And then right now what's happening is this big unbundling where people create, you know, there's thousands and thousands of brands. They don't worry about getting into retailers right now. They just sell individually online. They acquire customers themselves through Facebook. And Facebook is essentially the retailer right now. Uh, That's where you find these products um, is on the Facebook shelf. And so everybody's doing this. And now if you go talk to any DDC company, they spend like 90% of their time, not on their product, not on their customer service, but on their marketing plan. Like they're all their, you know, their Facebook ads, their Google ads, their Pinterest ads. Like this is where they spend their email marketing. They spend all their time on customer acquisition and uh, increasing the lifetime value of the customers. And so what's happening is I think there's a movement back towards, hey, let's say I'm, um, I don't know, what's a sexy DDC brand right now? Uh, maybe... Maybe it's uh, let, let, let's take away luggage, right? So I'm away luggage. I'm trying to acquire this customer that's kind of like this professional millennial who wants like a high quality thing and doesn't want to buy their dad's brand. They don't want to buy Samsonite. Uh, okay, cool. Why don't I, you know, sort of share my marketing efforts, co, you know, co-market with other um, DTC brands, right? So why isn't away luggage doing this with Warby Parker and Casper mattresses and everybody else? Because we're all spending the same amount of money to acquire the same person. And um, so there's a couple different interesting takes on this. One is there's one Shopify app that is a post-purchase Shopify app where you install it in your store. And after 
after someone buys from you, you upsell someone else's product. And if you do it, you get money from that retailer instead of from the customer uh, as like an affiliate fee. So I thought that was kind of clever. And uh, I don't know how well adopted that is or some some gives and takes there. But the other is to just create a destination, an Amazon-like destination that is just a curated set of all the best new brands. And you say, okay, I'm going to find the best two or three brands in luggage and handbags and the next two or three brands in shoes and the next two or three best brands of socks. And you you only have, let's say, the three best brands of every category. And you invite those, those e- e-commerce players onto your platform and you go acquire customers for your kind of like retail store that has many things. Um, you market to them all the different products and you get a 15% cut of everything you sell for these people um, because, hey, they're going to pay Facebook for that customer anyways. They might as well pay you know a little bit less for you because average store might be spending about 30% of their revenue on customer acquisition through Facebook. So if they can get a customer for 15%, they've, you know, they've cut their acquisition costs in half. And um, what do you think of this idea? This is a typical Sean idea that I think is potentially a big idea, but is like my default is like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but so to default to optimism, it's quite interesting. I think that you're, you're talking about two different things. The first one is incredibly fascinating about the upsell. So like if you buy an away bag, you're going to be upsell, upsold like, I don't know, a blanket or I don't know what... Tra- what Sure. It could, it could be like, you know, gravity blanket or it could be um, Warby Parker glasses or it could be Allbirds shoes or, or, you know, whatever, something like that. Something that a traveler, I don't know, that's an easy thing to figure out. That's pretty fascinating. I think that when I've talked to people who do brand partnerships, I think that they said in general, they don't move the needle, but I would like to figure out which ones actually do because some of them clearly do. Right. Um, that's an interesting idea. I think that's really fascinating. Um, I love that idea. I think that's really cool. The second one, I think as a user would be cool, but I have no idea why would a D2C brand want to put their product there? Like, Wouldn't they just want to own the whole relationship? Isn't that the whole point of being direct to cons- their own well, consumer? Well, you do get the customer relationship. So they come and they buy, but the, the D2C retailer would share the customer in- insight. Unlike Amazon, it would share the customer info with that brand. Um, that That's kind of the... the I think you would have to do that. Um, otherwise, I think it's quite tough. Um, but if you if you agreed to do that, right? So like, I'll, I'll find um, I'll find. Okay, so let me let me give you the two names of companies I think are doing something like this. So one I believe is called Co-op Commerce. So if you go to uh, co-op commerce. So just C O O P commerce.com. Um, I think that's the one where it's the upsell, um, upsell with something else. There's, there's probably another one, uh, besides that. The it's, second it, one it's spelled, uh, it looks like coop, coop, yeah, coop commerce. Exactly. I'm there. It looks pretty cool. And so, you know, you're going to, you're, you're going to acquire new customers through, uh, by putting yourself on this network. It's like an ad network, uh, right? So like bloggers used to do this. They used to create like blog roles where it's like, cool. I joined the blog role network. It'll put me on other blogs. Like, like me, like if I'm a tech blogger, it'll put me on other tech blogs and then I get traffic and then I give traffic as well. And I get sort of a proportional share and uh, link share was like another one like this. I think the guy from Zappos started something like this before, uh, before Zappos. Yeah. I think yeah, link, yeah, link yeah. share was the name of it. Um, so the other one, is called thefascination.com. Um, and so the fascination is is trying to build this, is trying to build that superstore. I don't think it works exactly by the rules I mentioned, like three, three brands or whatever, but it's basically saying we're going to curate 
the best D2C brands. We're going to offer, you know, great deals on those products, uh, you know, on our website. And um, as if you choose to be one of those brands, you're going to get a whole bunch of exposure because we're going to get popular and you're going to get free customers from us. But you just have to give us a kickback of about 15% um, on the on, on anybody we send. Wait, you. so what's the website? Fascinations.net is, is sex toys. Fascinations.com is metal stuff. Right. The Fascination.com. The fascination. Lose the the. <laughs> um, Sell sex toys instead. <laughs> let me see. Um, okay. Um, yeah, it's brand new. It doesn't even brand rank new, in yeah. Google. Uh, it's not like it's not launched yet. So this is coming coming soon. I think it's cool. I like this stuff. I think this is so cool. Have you seen this company called Beta? Um, beta is that the pop up the in yeah, real so life pop up stores? Which Beta does, and they're probably getting crushed right now. Is yeah. they had these badass stores that they had in cool locations in San Francisco, LA, New York, and probably many other countries or uh, states. And those are the ones that I saw. And you, I think the way it works is like boosted, like anyone who has a nifty gadget, it's almost like the new Sh- version image. of Sharper Image. Anyone yeah. that has a nifty gadget, it could have been like cute new brands like Allbirds, but also like some fancy TV that you didn't know was cool until you saw it. And you're like, Oh, something wow. that like demos. Well, yeah, that demos well. And you pay us a rental fee to be there and you go in and you could, uh, you can buy it on the spot straight. Right. And it's badass. that, uh, I don't know if that's a good business, but this is kind of similar to that. And it looks similar actually. And it's quite, quite interesting. So, so I have friends that invested in beta and I think they were doing well. Obviously COVID I think is, you know, one of the worst things that could happen to them, but it's B eight T a. So the, the E is replaced with an eight. So, uh, B A T A.com. And, um, I like this idea cause let's say you're a brand and uh, a lot of brands open up these like kind of flagship or like, uh, I forgot what they call them, like try on stores where it's basically like, look, we're not trying to sell here. We sell online. But if you want to come and, you know, try our stroller out or like, you know, sit on our couch that we're selling, we have a showroom in your city. And those was really expensive and it was a really big undertaking for them to be like, OK, guys, 2021, that's the year we're going to open up our showrooms in New York and L.A. and San Francisco. And it's going to cost us like three million, four million dollars. And it's going to take a lot of time and all this stuff. And so what Beta let them do was be like, push a button and you're in our eight locations or however many locations they have. Um, and it's like, OK, you're, you're you now have a store presence. You can send your customers there to try out your products or feel it out. And you'll get new customers just walking in who like to see kind of new cool stuff. And it's sort of a modern modern day version of like Sharper Image, like you said. I really I, like that idea. I think the idea of cur- curating good products, I mean, that is not even remotely new. Um I love that business. I think that is just the coolest business. I love those businesses. I'm in that business. I curate stuff. I right. love curation businesses. I think that they're low cost, start fast. We talked about a curated airline or a Airbnb business. We talked about a curated, cool, nifty products. Uh, Gear Patrol does curation for outdoor stuff. Then there's, um, you know, um, is it called Whoop? Not Whoop the band, but like, wasn't there one called Whoop, Whoop that? Yeah, Woot. That was bought by Amazon for like, I think like $100 million. Um, I love that. I think it's cool. And let me tell you one more that is cool. And Sarah just bought a a gift or a a jacket out of here. Have you heard of Italic? Yes. I'm friends with Jeremy, the founder. 
So the premise, and I don't, I don't think that this is particularly unique, but I had never heard of it, and it seems badass to me, is they're like, basically, we make... And I think a lot of retailers say this. That's why it's not particularly unique, but they've done it well. Uh, they're like, we make Montclair or Canada Goose, which are like $2,000 coats. We make those same exact coats, but without the brand, and it's $200 instead of $2,000. Or right. we make these fancy knives, which is the same, but no logo. Yeah, and luxury luxury quality without the luxury label. That's the the shtick. And uh and ironically that's like an even more high status thing to do is be like, yeah, this is a I'm wearing a uh, you know Prada level product, but I didn't have to put Prada on it. I I'm understated like that. <laughs> so we bought I bought or someone in my family bought another family member a uh like a $20,000 purse, but it was fake. It was from China. Yeah. And it even came with like a fake, like a certificate. A of certificate. <laughs> like, yeah. no, like a, like a authentic, like it was like, it came with the box right. that, and still had plastic on it. And you open up and you had the label and like a certificate that says it's real. Like they just copied it perfectly. And then we had a real one laying around and we like, li- like no one could tell the difference. And, and so it basically right. he's just made that. Dude, this is a, a well. So, th- so these aren't. Yeah, I, I guess these are kind of those are minus the logo. Those are really knockoffs. So, I lived in China for for a couple of years when I when I finished high school, and my mom uh, was like super into like luxury bags, but was like you know cheap Indian woman who was not going to buy a Louis Vuitton bag, like a $6,000 bag, loved it, but wanted it, but would never buy it. And so when we moved to China, they had knockoffs everywhere, right? You could go to the market and you would see like, you know, that same Louis Vuitton bag for, for $7. But it was like clearly fake. It was like, you know, the quality was just not the same. And so, um, there was an in-between market and they called her the bag lady. And this lady was ahead of her time. So she only worked through BlackBerry Messenger. Today, that would be like, you know, WhatsApp or WeChat is probably what she'd be using. Um, but it was BBM only. You, nobody knew her name. And she had no lo, no steady location because like they were always after her to find her. So she would do these pop-ups where she would just DM and she would BBM an address. She's going to be there for the next two hours. It was usually in someone's apartment, one of her customer's apartment where there's like a doorman and like they can kind of screen who's coming in and who's, who's not. So she can't get like raided. And she had the most high quality knockoffs that were, were the, her, her claim to fame was you could take this to Louis Vuitton. And at the time this worked, I, now I bet they have some chips inside that like you 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 know they can va- they can validate it but at the time this was you could take this to Louis Vuitton and you could say is this uh, authentic and they would say yes this is authentic and um and so she would sell hers for 400 500 a bag so you're getting the not the 6000 and not the 6 dollars but you're getting the 600 dollar bag um that that looks and feels like the packaging is identical it was amazing and she would text out her location and a swarm of moms would come and this lady would probably make 10, 20 grand in a two hour period. And then she would pack up and disappear. And she wore these like mask and glasses and stuff like that. So you never knew who she was. And I just thought this lady was like That's the ultimate badass. baller. Dude, if my mom, I don't know if she did that or not, but if she did do it, whenever I got in trouble for doing anything, I'd be like, dude, you're part of a fraud ring. Like you, <laughs> right. like you, like, like you, you fund terrorism. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, so I hope you would have used that. I thought it was amazing what she was doing. And so I, one th- interesting thing about this italic model, by the way, uh, and I hope I can say this, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask him, but the cool thing I think they innovated on was not just finding supply, the same supplier or like, you know, an identical supplier who could make, who make the same quality, but they actually went to them with a kind of no-brainer offer. So every supplier in China is constantly getting hammered on their their 
you know, unit price. So it's like, oh, we make this thing for $20 and the customer's always asking for 18 and they're just, you know, they're always like pushing the, pushing that down. So what they did was smart was they went and said, hey, look, we don't want to hold inventory because that takes a lot of money and it's hard. So why don't we do this? Instead of 20 bucks, how about you get $40 per unit sold? And manufacturer's like, what? And he's like, yeah, you get $40, but I'm not going to buy the inventory. You make it and you take the risk with us and uh, you get double. And um, they said, to start with, let's only do, you know, a little bit of the inventory this way. And you can see that this actually works. And as you get trust that we can sell the product, um, basically you're going to build it. I'm sure there's some manufacturing term for this, like consignment or like, you know, on spec or some shit like that. But I thought that was really smart. So they've been able to bootstrap this business or not bootstrap. They've raised money, but like they've been able to be very capital efficient because they're not putting out, you know, $5 million purchase orders to factories. Instead, they're telling the factory, hey, share some of the upside, but you make it at your risk. And uh, if we don't sell it, you're you're out. Uh, but 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 you, you could take that risk with us for more upside. And the factories are more entrepreneurial um, who, who try to do that. I think that what we need to do is like break down the economics of that model of like what's better to be like Walmart and just sell cheap stuff or to be like Costco or Sam's Club and sell a membership and sell it at cost. Right. I think it'd be interesting to see what that needs to become like. And um, I don't know what business is better. I would think the membership thing would be far better. Well, um, I, I don't know. On Italic, do you have to be a member? I don't think you do. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe you can be. Uh, oh, yeah. $10, yeah. $10 a month. That, that is it. So they, they still make money on the product itself. So they're not like Costco where it's at cost. But what I like is it's asset light. So even though the total money captured might be less, their growth is going to be faster and require less investment. And therefore, they're going to own more of the of the pie because they're an asset light model. They're not holding and buying all this inventory. And so I think that there's, you know, that's the pros and cons where they can just specialize in being an amazing marketing company and they don't have to worry about being a, you know, you know, a a full stack, you know, a company that that's getting stuff made, holding it in their warehouses and fulfilling it all that. Yeah. I think it's cool. I liked, I like these businesses. I don't know how we're going to categorize them, but the, I think that what Italic is doing... Have they raised a lot of money? Are they big? I don't know anything They've about it. They've raised them. like, I think, $10, 13000000 million, something like that. Is it going well? Uh, yeah, it's going well. I think it's awesome. I love this thing. I think it's so cool. 13, I, 13 million bucks. But that's like the same thing. Like, Sarah, so like, if you go to their website right now, just sorry, one example for people who haven't been there. So they, they it says, here's the November new member gift. This leather zip cart, like a wallet, basically. It's like uh, uh, St. Laurent. I don't know how, how you say these fancy brands, but I think it's that YSL brand. Um, $295 is their price. Uh, Kuyana, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's some like secondhand marketplace. It's like $75. And, Dude, all uh, like the women listening to this are like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's like me saying like the Dallas Cowboys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and anyway, that italic, it's $35, right? So it's 10 times cheaper than the, the normal retail price for the same product without the, without the label. So you know that fancy brand? There's a fancy brand of pots and pans. They're like brightly colored. Again, everyone listening to this is like, you idiot, it's called... It's like... Croquette or cro- you don't have to <laughs> We should just bleep all these out so that we save ourselves the embarrassment. But yes, I know what you're talking about. Is it a uh, oh, Le Crusette or something? Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, they make a knockoff and it's uh, ninety five dollars as opposed to four hundred dollars, which is awesome. And then I and my friend had it and I saw it. And then they also used he bought the knives from them and I was like, Jack, this is a super sharp knife. What is this? And he's like, Oh, I got it from Italic. Right. Uh, so. I think it's great. And 
sorry, Italic, sorry, all the brands and the people listening. We're just a bunch of basic ass dudes who can't say. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Dude, that's like worse than the time that someone was like, it's called Thule. I'm like, it's spelled like Thule. So I think it's Thule. Yeah, like don't, the Swedish—they got a different word for everything. I tell you, they—they should have. Don't spell it like like it rhymes with mule. If it's gonna if you're gonna pronounce it Thule. Uh, all right, a couple other uh, interesting things. Okay, here's another idea for you. Um, so I've been playing around with Facebook ads, uh, you know, on and off for many years, but more seriously this year than any year before that, and. Facebook, I would say, is probably the greatest marketing engine, uh, maybe of all time, definitely of our era. Uh, you know, it's created so much opportunity. If you can take your product and be able to market it effectively on Facebook, you're able to reach, you know, the whole world at, you know, in one of the most efficient me uh, mediums possible, right? Because it's all met measured, attributed, um, and it's all, you know, you could use their their algorithm to figure out who's your buyer, all that good stuff. So if you use Facebook ads, it's like easy enough to get started, but it's not that easy. And I think there's an opportunity for somebody to create essentially a course, but it's not a course. It's not me saying I'll teach you how to do Facebook ads. It's a game. It's called the marketing game. It's basically a simulator that that dumbs down the Facebook ad UI and UX and just like it gives you a chance to get reps at driving growth through marketing. And so totally agree. Great idea. Great. So idea. Matt, so what I would say is I would say, Oh, Hey, you created this shoe. You want to sell the shoe. Okay. So you don't have to like take the time to like build the ad creative, but it's like, here's six ad creatives, pick one you want to run. And it's like, set up your campaign. Who are you going to target? You, you, you know, so it's like the dumbed down UI. It saves you all the time. You don't have to actually go to Photoshop and, and create ads, but you have them there and you get to guess like, oh, maybe the one where there's the Brilliant. discount or Brilliant. the one with the text on top or no, this just should be the video. And then you click go and it's like, you know, SimCity or whatever. It's like, it simulates. And it's like, here's your return. What are you going to do? Take this money and do the next thing. You're, you're all, I think you're on and you're off. The way that I would do it, this is a brilliant idea, but I would do it differently. Here's what I would do because... The the the, the learn I, there's there has to be a a category of like learning that this is under, but this type of learning always works best for me, and I'm pretty sure it's the best for most humans. Which is like you know when you learn how to play guitar, you copy other people's work, right? Yes. Yeah. You play, you you go look up the chords to Ed Sheeran, you know, if you want to yeah. go play guitar, and you do that for years, and then after a while, you're like, all right, I understand what works and what doesn't work. I can right. make my own stuff. That's right. the best way to learn. I think that's the okay. best way to you're learn right. writing. You're right. You're right. And so. so what I would do is I would get a list of all the most successful campaigns. So like different ad campaigns that probably Trump or Biden used, different ad campaigns that native deodorant use. And I would say, all right, you see this campaign? It worked really well. Um, recreate it. Yes. First yes, step. It, exactly. So 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 you, you start and in the game, it's like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the founder of native? Do you want to be the founder of all birds? Do you want to be the founder of the hustle? Do you build an email list? Do you want to... Who are you targeting and what are you selling? Great. Right. We got that category here. This and is the best campaign like, that we've ever found. Right. Look, now, first thing, you need to come up with an image. The image that worked best for them was this. Now go out and find it. Yeah, I totally. We're going to call it Code Academy for Facebook. As, uh, Bray, you said that's exactly what yes. I have Code Academy logged up here. Code Academy is a, a thing where you just log Learned in and code. they're like, all right, yep. we're going to make this game. Type in this. Exactly. So so the, so many people have done these Code Academy, kind of like learn to code platforms. And they, they also made it easy where 
So let's say you actually want to learn how to code. It's like, oh, install the Python library on your computer. Go get a text editor. Um, you know, that's going to be where you're going to write your code and then learn how to compile it, learn how to get it onto a website. It's like, fuck, this is all so complicated. Just the, just the infrastructure is so complicated just to start. And so what Codecademy did brilliantly that other people did too is they made it like, hey, you go to the website and here's like, on the right side is the output and the left side is where you type. And it's like, cool. First, it's like in gray, it tells you exactly what to type. You literally just have to retype what they already have. It's like variable equal, you know, var equals six. It's like, oh, you just set a variable. Great. You know, like now learn how to add two variables together. And that like teaches you step by step how to do it. And so I think that's really great. It was a great way for somebody like me to actually like try to learn and get get my feet wet a little bit. Um, I think somebody needs to make Code Academy for selling or for marketing. And um, and so the way you would do it is, is I think you, you put a great twist on it. Uh, but I got really excited about this idea the other day because I was I, I've, I've been finding um, I've been doing a lot of blogging to my uh, my audience. Like I've done probably. 50 posts in 60 days or something crazy, like some crazy volume. And one of the consistent questions is around this, around Facebook ads. And I myself have trouble with it. And I'm like, fuck, where do I even send these people to learn? And I was like, shit, I'm just going to start building tools for my audience to like, to solve the problems that they have, that we have, right? It's like, I'm just going to build a set of tools that, that solve this problem. And so this was the one that I was most excited about. I have I think a list of six. This is the one I'm most excited about. Look, I think that's cool. And I think a lot of people will be like, well, but how many people are running Facebook ads? It's like, well, 1 million people. Right. A lot. The most. Uh, yeah. How, I mean, <laughs> how many people are running Google ads? Like 5 million people? I mean, like right. what? Like uh, enough. And, and this should be a part Sorry, of every 1 school. million companies, let alone right. all the employees doing it enough right. enough that you could build a big business by charging $30 a month. Exactly. And this should be a part of like every, you know, college curriculum, high school curriculum, something like that. Um, they should make this, this, this type of uh, experience accessible to them. If somebody built a good one. And I think you kind of got to build it a little bit like a game. Um, the code Academy types try to gamify their stuff a little bit, but the best ones make it where, you get a sense of progress. You feel like you're making more money or you're, you're leveling up in some way. And it keeps you motivated to like, you, you don't want learning the tool to be the end game. You want to have to learn the tool in order to get your the outcome you want in business. That's why it works, right? I don't want to learn Facebook ads. I want to make more money. Facebook ads is my way to make more money. So you got to do, design this the same way where the prize is the fun of seeing your character progress. And the way to get there is to actually figure out better how to, how to actually use these marketing tools. I think it's awesome. Code Academy, by the way, how much does it cost? They have a, they have a hundred thousand paying customers. They say, how much does it cost? It costs $20 a month. So what's that mean? 200,000? Is that 200,000? hundred thousand? Or is that 2 million? How many customers is it? 20,000? A hundred thousand. I can't do math. I got to carry my zero. 2 million a month. So there, 20, it's a 24 it's million a, a year. It's a $24 million business. That's a hundred million dollar business, hundred million dollar company. Probably. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how many people there are who code versus marketing. I have to think there's more marketers. Yes, I would agree. So it doesn't even matter. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world. It's, uh, there's enough, there's more than enough to build a viable business doing something like this. It's hard. I would say this is actually really hard to build though. Um, that's the caveat. I think it's tricky to get it right. In terms of like the psychology and how the product feels, I actually disagree with you. I, I like it, like there's all these like interactive things where you're just like looking at a screen and like the cursor needs to be moving and it's got a point, like point, you know, it's like, it's like the, it's like Microsoft clip or what's that thing called? The, the it's like the paper clip needs to be there just pointing 
Yeah, I think you can make it easy for people to go through, but just like for Code Academy, right? It says seven years and 45 million lear- learners later. So 45 million learners have like gone through the system at, at least. And, uh, you know, they have 100,000 paying customers per month. So you're going to get a shit ton of churn, because, just like for Code Academy, right? I churned out of Code Academy too because shit, it actually is pretty hard to learn how to code and keep going and keep the motivation there. And that's why I think this is hard to build because it's hard to build it where you keep somebody engaged and they get to like, you know, they get through the program essentially. Um, I don't I think hear this you. Would be I a just think, thing forever. I just think it could last for like, like Code Academy has been around for 10 years. Did you say seven or? T- yeah, seven years. I think it, Code Academy could be around for another 10. Right. So I think it's good. I think we should do, do we? I mean, that was a pretty good one. Do we want to end there? Uh, yeah, if somebody wants to build this with me, uh, ideally somebody like somebody good. So I get a lot. I always ask that question. I get one good person and I get 10 like complete jokers. How do you know if you're good? You're good if you've like actually like built stuff before that people have used. And ideally, in this case, you understand the problem of uh, trying to learn Facebook ads. So you've gone down and like it's kind of like how, how I've tried to learn, tried to learn how to code four times. Um, I'm actually the right person to build a learn to code product. Uh, if I paired with a technical person, because I know I've tried this, I had I'm, I am the customer. I understand it. So ideally, it's somebody who's tried that, and also best case would be somebody who understands uh, games. Like you play games at least, if 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 not have built a game before, because I think you need those mechanics in order to to give it. To, the games are amazingly designed products. There's this awesome YouTube video if you go watch. It's called you know uh, Mario, like the genius of the first level of Mario or something like that. I don't remember what the video is called, but. Basically, I know you're talking about. It yeah, it's like a Vimeo video. It shows how Mario has no tutorial, right? Most popular game, no tutorial on how to play, how to jump. What's the objective? Am I trying to get coins? How do you learn all this? Well, the way he designed it. So first it shows your Mario, you're standing there and all of a sudden the screen starts moving. It's pushing you forward. So you already know, okay, got to run to the right, uh, right? Like the, the motion of the, of the level tells me where I'm trying to go. Go right. Then this Goomba comes and he's got this angry face. So, you know, this is probably not a friend who's going to give me some potion. There's probably an enemy that I need to do something with, but I don't know what to do. And then they showed that like where the Goomba meets you, um, you also have these boxes above you, the, the, the coin boxes that have question marks. It's like, well, that's intriguing. I'm going to want to hit the question mark. And so you jump, you get the coin, and then you almost always will land on the Goomba's head and kill the Goomba. And then you see the satisfying Goomba's gone and you're like, oh, good. I know what to do now. And then you see two more question mark boxes and you're like, huh, how do I get to those? I guess I could jump on this to get to there. And it's like with no tutorial, you've now learned all the mechanics of the game. You're trying to go to the right to the end of the level. You got to kill these Goombas by jumping on their heads and you want to collect as many coins as you can in these boxes. And sometimes there's other stuff in the boxes, like a mushroom comes out of one of the fir- first four boxes of Mario. And that's how you want to design pro- great products is where you actually don't need Clippy. You just make it where there's really only one thing you could do, and that's the next action you you need to learn as a, as a player in the game of like oh click this good thing happens great now i know when to use that technique Abreu you just shared it it's called how nintendo made mario's most iconic level and it looks like two uh they're speaking in japanese it looks like the, the developers are explaining it all right uh i don't think it's the developer but it's uh some some, some guys explaining, explaining it. yeah it, it says th- they're using the word we like you know we made it this way oh really uh that's amazing Okay, great. Uh, what's his name? Marimoto or something like that? Miyamoto. Miyamoto. Uh, yeah. What a what a legend, Billy Mario. Fucking amazing. Yeah, those guys are legends to me. I mean, it's just so cool. Like when I think about these Japanese guys making Mario, I, I like it's like kind of mythical to me. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, great. Uh, I gotta run. 
Good stuff. Enjoy your new house. Good episode.